Lord be with you, and it's great to be with you. And I trust that this week we shall be able to finish what we are saying. But I want to share with you from one of the greatest blessings in the scripture. It's a blessing that we still use to this very day. Only we have more insight today into it through Christ Jesus than those who first heard it. It is in Numbers in chapter 6. Numbers chapter 6 verse 22. Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons. These were the high priest and the priest, those who in the days of the Old Testament uh, mediated between the people and with God. They were the priests of the covenant. So speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, Thus you shall bless the sons of Israel. So in this fashion, thus. So the Lord is saying, This is what I want you to bless the people with. And so we know that as we come to this blessing, it is what God wants to give to us. And hold that very strongly in mind. Thus, in this fashion, with these words, you shall bless the sons of Israel. You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And I'm sure you've heard that blessing in some church that you've been to. Maybe you've used it yourself. And then he ends it by saying, so. It's again, the, in the first place he said, thus, in this fashion. Then at the end he said, so. Again, we could say in this fashion, with these words. They shall invoke my name, or place my name, on the sons of Israel. And then I will bless them. And so... Get the picture here. The Lord says, this is what I desire. This is my will. This is what I want for my people. And I want you to speak on my behalf this blessing upon them. And having given them the exact words to say, he says, this that you're doing will in actual fact unite them with my name. And he said, when you say, when you announce to the people what I have told you is my will, then upon your saying it, then I will bless them. Do you get that? It's very important, and we probably won't get there fully until next week. But this is how the blessing works. God gives a revelation of what he wills for us, what he wants for us. This is my desire, he says. Now, you, he says, say it. You declare it, announce it. And in so doing, in your announcing it, then I will bless the people in accord with what you've said. 
or you say what I want to do for the people, and then when you've said it, I will confirm it, I will do it, I will actualize it in the lives of the people. As a foundational truth. And, and I, I can't wait for next week when we can really get into that. But first of all, we have to look at the content of this blessing. I mean, hear it. This is the blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord, the Lord himself make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. There, there's the blessing. Now, let, let's, let's sort of uh, fillet it. Let, let's take it apart piece by piece. For this is the will of God concerning you. This is what God desires for you. The Lord bless you. Well, we have spent a number of weeks on this word blessing. And just let me quickly say what it means. He's opening this blessing with that word, and then he's expounding on what that is going to mean in terms of their lives. And so the word bless, what does it mean? It means that word, that word that God speaks, which is filled with goodness, it's a word that is the love of God coming to us in word form. And that word actually imparts. I hope you've got this by now. God never says anything for information. Never. That's why he doesn't tell them things that are in the New Testament in the Old Testament. Because in the Old Testament, it would have been only information. He only speaks words that actually impart what they're saying. So whatever God says in those words is the power to make it happen in our lives. And so the blessing, the word means, the impartation through this word filled with goodness and love, there's the impartation of strength, divine strength, not human strength, strength that to the outsider who has not realized the love of God, who denies the blessing, when they see that strength, it looks impossible. Because it is divine strength united with the creature. We can only go as far as we understand as possible. But God's strength is impossible. And so this power, and every time we understand the fullest extent of the blessing, when we finally understand what the blessing is, which is in the New Testament, it is the empowerment by the Holy Spirit. So through this good word, there comes the divine strength and power that is united to us creature humans by the Holy Spirit. And something else that the word means that we must hammer it till we all get it. And that is, it is to the total person. And, and I have to underscore this and say it again, because we just don't get it in today's world. 
Our today's religious world always sees things like grace and blessing and all the other wonderful words as to do with our core being, our spirit. And I've read all the commentaries, I've read what others have said, and 19% of them, they stop with the blessing that he's forgiven me my sins and I'm going to heaven when I die. Well, yes, but that's not what the word blessing means. Please get this. The word blessing, this impartation of the love, power of God, means that you, in your core being, your essential self, yes, you are strengthened, you you are clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit, but it also means in your mind, yes, and not only when you're thinking spiritual thoughts, but when you're at your business, when you're at school, whatever you are doing, your mind is now in union with the Holy Spirit. What a thought. What a thought. What creativity. It means that your very emotions have now been joined with, shall I dare say it, the emotions of God. And so it speaks of this in the New Testament as being righteousness, which means walking in step with God, joy and peace. And so we, we have the peace of God that passes human comprehension. We have the joy of the Lord, which Nehemiah said is our strength. And it means that our bodies, our bodies are blessed. And when I say that, I mean that as deeply as you could understand it. I mean this body, and I mean the cells of this body, the organs of my body, I mean the very atomic structure of me. The whole energy system that makes up me is now joined with the Holy Spirit. My innermost spirit, my mind, my emotion, my body, and everything I possess. Because when the Bible speaks of your body, it means your entire imprint upon this creation. So that involves where you live, it involves the things you need to live, your food, your clothes, it it, it involves your work, it involves all your possessions, everything that makes up my life, the imprint that I am now leaving upon the history of this planet, be it in your mind ever so small, but you're blessed. That's what this is saying. And I know that for many people that is, well, I don't know, they get very frightened of that. That the idea that I am being blessed in all of those areas to so many people, that's, that, that's, not, that's not spiritual. I mean, do you understand this? And it's a sad fact, but for a very long time, we're talking centuries, the church lost this. I won't go into all that, but the church lost this. And and then they began to glorify failure. This is incredible because the word bless means to succeed and to be prosperous. It means that. Check your Hebrew dictionaries. Everyone will say that. Everyone. And yet the church began to glorify failure. The church began to glorify sickness. 
Read the history of the church and you will find that in those dark middle ages, if a person was a saint, you can be sure that they were half dead before they began to live. Uh, I mean, they died early and everyone says, oh, there must be a saint, they're suffering. And a person that was a saint was always a person dragging through life in poverty. Uh, anything but succeed as a human being, anything but succeed in terms of a mind alive with creativity, anything but sheer joy that sometimes had to clap and dance for sheer joy, anything but that. Anything that was spiritual was somber, it was dark, it was anything but a successful human being well i am saying that was a demonic lie and this word means that in the totality of my life i am lifed i am fruitful that's the meaning of the word and if you've been with us these last number of weeks it was the first word god spoke to humankind and when he began to unfold his purpose of salvation that would end in jesus he began using the word bless to describe what he was intending to do that jesus would come and he would save us spirit mind emotion body and our entire imprint upon the history of who we are so that we could in union with our creator that's the thing covenant union you in union with the father through the son by the holy spirit and christ jesus by the holy spirit living in you union like a branch in a vine that's blessed that's blessed but it involves everything that you are and when you are a human creature, united with the Father through Jesus by the Spirit, then you are moving into the potential of everything that you were ever created to be. That's it. You see, well, the Lord bless you. As, as we've been there for weeks just on that word. But now he begins to pull that word out. And show us what that word, when we are blessed, what it looks like. And he said, the Lord bless you and keep you. Wow, that's a statement and a half. Keep you. The, the, it's, a, it's a very old English word, um, keep. If you go to Europe, have you ever visited the castles of Europe? And all those castles, you know, the great tall stone walls but to get into them you would have to go over a drawbridge you remember that they pull up the bridge when their enemies came well you had to get over that bridge but then when you got over the bridge you came to what in castle language is called the keep and the keep well i doubt you'd get through it because that's where they were waiting for you with all of their bows and arrows and boiling pitch and tar and they would fill you full of arrows and drown you in pitch and tar you, you couldn't get through the keep that that is where they kept the castle from invaders and that word then has come into our english language keep it, it is that god himself is keeping you 
it is to, to understand the Lord himself said he would be your refuge he would be your armor he would be all that was needed to repel the powers that would seek to destroy you so another word is to guard you maybe that helps a bit more for some of you the the, the Lord guard you guard you and it, it would mean keep watch so you see I, I can sleep safely knowing that I am sleeping in the guarding of my covenant lover, friend, and Lord. You see, uh, think about this. When you get to the Psalms, to, to David, especially David, David knew all of this stuff that I'm trying to share with you. And, and so he would take it and in faith, he would say, this is so. And so in the Psalms, you get many references to this. And so you, you have it. I know you know some of them. The Lord is my refuge. The Lord is my strength. And David would say, the Lord is my shield. And he said in another place, the Lord is my sword. And do you remember when Absalom, his son, was coming and he wrote Psalm number three? He said, you are my glory. You are a shield about me, the lifter of my head. All of those things that David said, he, he got them from here. You understand that? He read his Bible, which is what we're looking at now. And he said, then that's true. I lay hold of it. That's true. The Lord is... And, and filled in, and almost everything that he filled in that blank was to do with protection. It was to being kept from the powers that sought your harm. Um, there's that other one. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. And you run into it and I say, it, it comes from here. That the Lord has sworn by himself. This is what he desires to keep you, to keep you. And we'll look in later weeks at Deuteronomy chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 28, where, where he says that when you, you are attacked, when the forces of darkness press upon you, he said, I'll be your strength. And all through the history books of the Old Testament, they quote from those ideas. And do you remember it says, the battle is not yours, it is the Lord's. Have you heard that? That comes from Deuteronomy 20. But it was quoted much further on as those persons that lived in the days of the kings and chronicles. They read this and they took it for themselves and said, then the battle is not ours, it is the Lord's. Again, the Lord said, I will fight for you. I, I'm protecting you. It would go back even to Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. What do shepherds do except protect the sheep? And so he is saying that. And believe me, um, that there are some things that we need to know about that. I mean, what about Psalm 91? He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. And then the rest of Psalm 91 goes on to show how he protects you. Uh, but, but this is the blessing, dwelling in the shelter of the Most High. 
This is the blessing. It's abiding in the shadow of the Almighty. And if you can get the picture, because um, there's ideas there, and they're brought out in other Psalms, but the idea of a mother hen. Uh, have you ever seen a mother hen with her chicks? It's an amazing sight. The, the mother hen will lift her wings, and all the little chicks, and it seems like a lot of them, they all disappear under her wings. And under her wings, she is their protector. And I, I, I was, I remember, visiting a farm in Ireland. I used to live in Northern Ireland. And, and visiting this farm after there'd been a fire. And the fire had swept through the barnyard. And as we went, and the farmer was looking at all his losses, and, and I was there with him. And as we walked across the barnyard, there was what looked like a heap of old rags. And as I went by, I kicked it. And suddenly, here were, I don't know, ten odd little yellow chicks. That that looked like old rags was the mother hen. And when the fire swept through, all the little chicks were under her wings. And they were kept, they were guarded, and the flames destroyed the mother, but all the chicks were saved. And in the Psalms, they use that illustration so many times, that we're under his wings, we're under his shadow, we are kept by him. This, this is who he is. This is the, the, the God who looks after us. Why? Because he wants to. He loves us. It's the blessing. And remember, it has the entirety of your life, the totality of your imprint in this world is included in that. There is, and I'll move on, but these are all scriptures that found their rootage right here in this blessing. But God spoke to Isaiah in chapter 54, the prophecy of Isaiah. And it's, it's I, I, well, I, I'll leave out what I was going to say. It would take a, a whole hour by itself. But verse 17 says, No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. That's what this is saying. You are kept so that all the weapons in the armory of the devil and the persons who use the devil's armory, uh, no, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that accuses you in judgment, you will condemn. You will condemn because you will stand into this blessing. And it includes this keeping. You see, he not only blesses you, but he keeps you. He not only causes your whole life to be empowered to the fullest extent of a human in union with, with the Father through Jesus. Not only that, not only, because then you are speaking of his gifts upon gifts and his favor to you in every area of existence. He not only gives it to you, but he keeps it. 
He not only prospers your life, but he guards what he's given you. And incidentally, it's sort of almost in passing, really. Um, but it does say you, doesn't it? The Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious to you, lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Did you realize there were so many you's in that blessing? This is, this is not just a, a vague universal that a God somewhere would like to be nice. This is God sitting down, looking you right in the eye and saying, I bless you, I keep you, and so on through the whole blessing. Think about that. But then it, it sort of starts again. There are three stanzas to this. The Lord bless you and keep you. Now, the second one. The Lord make his face shine on you. Now, when, and you can read through the Old Testament and check me out on this, but the word face in the Old Testament, actually in the New Testament too, but it's a very Hebrew thing. The word face means the whole person. And really, we, we still say that today. Um, when, when they're going to take a picture of me, they don't take a picture of my knees, right? They don't take a picture of my hands. They take a picture of my face. And when I, I use that for identification, because my face is me, you understand me, even today we recognize the face of a person is, that's who they are. And, and, and so when the Old Testament, maybe in a bigger way than we do, but when it says face, it meant the whole person and the, the person in their attitude toward us. And really, again, it's true today. It certainly is true factually. I mean, it, you... If a person loves you, you see it in their face. I, I mean, there's no necessity for words at that point. You can look across a room and you see a person's face as it's turned toward you and you know exactly what their heart is feeling about you. Can't hide it. Yeah, I mean, there are some people, you argue, they try to hide their feelings, but they, they don't, they, it shows on their face. And, and you're in a, a bad mood, a depressed mood, a dark sort of mood, and you can't hide it. You don't have to say anything. Someone sooner or later who knows you is going to say, what's wrong with you? Um, if, if you love someone, then that's going to radiate from your face. And it will be a look, and your heart will leap because you know what that look means. It's their face. And so the whole of their heart, we say, don't we, they wear their heart on their sleeve. Well, the Bible would say you wear your heart on your face. In fact, Abraham Lincoln said that everybody is responsible for the shape of their face by the time they're 30. Uh, I know what he means, because if... If you are bitter and angry, a malicious person, an old gossip, 
By the time you're 30, your face will go down and you'll look a miserable wretch. And you, you will have engraved your face with your bitterness. That's absolutely true. And, and, and so if a person is accepting you, it's the look of their face that tells you what they're saying is right. They're accepting you. And if they're rejecting you, you see that on their face. And th this is simple fact. You see, there, there is, how can I put this? I, there's a personal, I mean, that's you, your personal energy. The energy, the, the life of you comes out through your face. And, and so, actually, when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, your, your, your look at a person can bring them revelation. It can bring them healing. Just to look at them with the compassion and the love of Jesus. It, it, there's the, the, I say it again, the energy. I don't know a better word because it is that. And that energy of love, that energy, that personal coming forth of the person that says, I love you, I delight in you. Just to look at you makes my heart jump. Then the Bible would say the face shines. You could say that a shining face in the Bible means a face filled with delight. A face filled with acceptance. And communicating that through what I'm calling our personal energy. But what's this saying? The Lord make his face shine on you. On you. It says that the Lord looks at you and you give him such delight. He, he loves you and you give him such delight. His face shines towards you. And... Again, let me say, shines with energy. That is, the face of the Father looks at you even as he looks at Jesus. And the Holy Spirit communicates that to you. Divine personal energy. That's what this is saying. What a statement. And notice that's underscored. It says the Lord make his face. And that speaks of intention. Um... We, we live here in this little sleepy town in Texas. Uh, 900 people live in Bandera. And, and when we go to the post office, which I do every day, um, go there, and just about everybody smiles. I don't know who they are. They don't know who I am, except for a few. Uh, they're just being nice. And shall I say, it's a weak smile. That is, there's little energy behind it. There's no sense that I delight in you. It's just, it's country folk being so nice. That's why I love living here, because they didn't do that in New York. They didn't even do it in San Antonio. You pass like ships in the night. But here, you'll get a smile. In fact, sometimes when it's a four-way stop, here in Bandera, there's almost a fight as to who goes first because everybody wants the other person to go first and everybody's smiling at each other through the windshields. And that, that, but that's not this. God's not just sort of a nice, smiling old grandfather. 
he makes his, that is, this comes with the total will, the total intention of Father and Son and Holy Spirit. It's a heart smile. It's heart delight in you. He loves you. He likes you. And that word is used in, in John, I believe it's chapter 16 or 15. And it's the word we usually say, God loves you. And that word in the Greek is agape. But also the word in either chapter 15 or 16 is, Jesus said the Father, but he doesn't use agape this time. He uses phileo, which is essentially he likes you. He's fond of you. You're his best friend. That, that's the idea. He calls us friends as he delights in us. And, and it's intention. He wills you to know it. And so his face shines upon us. The limitless smile of God. The smile of sheer delight in us. And, and if you think I'm sort of pressing this, well, in Zephaniah and chapter 3, it says that the Lord... He rejoices over us with singing. As if you have a baby and you're delighting in the baby and you're, you're crooning over the baby. You're singing a lullaby. He rejoices over us with singing. The shining face of God. See, it's only a person who knows the blessing that would ever come to know that. Because most people believe he looks at you with a frown. Or worse, um, no, he, he looks at you with his full heart of love. And so the scripture calls that look, that shining delight, look of God as he looks at you, it's called the light. The light, the, the light of his face. And many places in the scripture, it makes it plain that this, this light, to, to see the light of his love, to see the, the, the light, I've seen the light, that is, I've seen that he loves me. I've seen that he's for me. His smile reveals his heart. And, and when I, I see that he loves me, that changes my whole understanding of who I am. Because if, if he has put his love upon me, then his love has dealt with my guilt. His love has dealt with my shame. His love gives to me my worth. I don't look inside of me for my worth. I look at the one who created me, loves me, who became flesh, died for me, and rose from the dead, joining me to him. Wow, what worth he has bestowed upon me. How much am I worth? How much are you worth? You are worth the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Now, that's what you're worth, for that's what... God himself did in order to reveal his love. And again, a love that does what it sets out to do. In fact, in his light, 
I am enlightened. Do you, do you understand what I mean? In the light of God's smile, it's as if he lights everything up and I understand, I have a new perception of what life is in all its reality. I don't see life as one used to, for now one sees the love of God everywhere. You see the love of God in his creation. You see the love of God working in other persons. And you see even beyond the evil of what men are doing, you see the God of love is working all things according to his love purpose. Psalm 36 and verse 8 says, They drink their fill. Of the abundance of thy house. This is speaking of persons who know they're blessed. And he says those persons, it's as if they've been invited to a, to a grand party in God house. And there they, they filled with the abundance of your house. The abundance. And, and you give them to drink of the river of your delights. Can you get, wow, put that around your head while you try to go to sleep tonight. You, you give to them to drink of the river, a great Mississippi river, or if you're in Africa, the great Zambezi river of your delights. I am washed in the river of life, for with you is the fountain of life. You're the beginning of real life. And then he says, in your light, we see light. He said, I've become aware that all this, I didn't know this. I was blind as a bat. I, I didn't know that all this was mine given, willed, intentioned to me by this God who, who loves me. Or you could carry that a bit further. This smile of God upon you are loved by the one who fills all things. Which means you, you are surrounded by, you are upheld by this love, which is power love, for he does what he wills to do. Sometimes we love and we can't do much about it. But if he loves, that's power love, to accomplish the goal and the ends of love. Which means freedom from anxiety. I mean... If my life is being kept and I am in the hands of and I am bathed in the delightful smile of this God, then what is there to be anxious about? Uh, it's the beginning of true peace and true joy. Psalm 4 and verse 6, he, he, were apparently in some tough times, and he, he reports in the psalm, many are saying, who will show us any good? That is, they're saying, life sucks. Is, is, is there any good to be found anywhere? Who will show us any good? What does the psalmist respond to that? He responds to it with this blessing. All the way back to Numbers, he quotes it. He said, lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You ask to be shown some good? You ask to see good? Well, go back to the blessing. Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. Then he, 
expands. He says, you have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. And that, that phrase back in an agricultural society would mean today even when um, the Dow is up and, and everything is fantastic and we're all making money. When, when the grain and the new wine are bound, that was harvest time, and they've had a great harvest. Well, he said, the gladness in my heart that comes from the light of the smile of God love toward me is more than when we are on an economic high. He said, therefore, in peace I will both lie down and sleep. He said, no worries, no cares for you alone, O oh Lord does make me to dwell in safety. And if God is smiling at me, well, in that smile of God, I mean, if he's your friend, your covenant friend, well, he then is the source of my victory, my overcoming of all enemies. And... Some, if, if you're getting what I'm saying, you'll see this scattered all through the Bible where they go back to this and then quote it into their situation. What about Psalm 27? You know that. The Lord is my light. And because he's my light, he's my salvation. Well then, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? You understand? It's this blessing he's talking about. And then when another psalm is Psalm 44, he looks back and he says, By their own sword they did not possess the land. Their own arm did not save them. They said, All this that we have, we, we didn't earn it ourselves. We, we didn't do it by our pulling our bootstraps. He says, No. Your right hand and your arm and the light of your presence or your face. You favored us. This is for you. Please. This is not information. This is the impartation of what God wills for your life. And of course... Uh, the reason for that is that if he's smiling at me, those who have rejected him and do not know him and would seek my harm, that smile of God is terrifying to them. Now, I still don't really get it, but on the other hand, I do, that a person who believes the lie of Satan who have invested their life in that lie, then to them the love of God is the most terrifying thing. Because if my whole life hangs on the fact he loves me, then it puts me in my correct uh, relationship of being a creature, and he's not only my creator, but my love of my life. I'm a dependent person. I depend upon him who loves me. Well, that's the opposite of the lie, which says you shall be self-sufficient. You'll find life in yourself. And therefore, like Adam, such persons run away from the love of God and hide in the trees. That's the essence of sin. And so, 
the smile of delight is terror to Satan. It's terror to those who've invested in Satan. And, well, I mean, there it is. I think I could talk all night on this. But let's finish this part of it with Romans 8.31. He says, if God is for us, Okay, that's another way of saying, smiling at you. If God is for us, pro us, who can be against us? And he's talking about you. He who did not spare his own son, and maybe a better translation is his only son. God gave God. Gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously, freely give us all things? Please hear me. This is not just religious education. This is the impartation to you of the blessing, this word of love, this good word that imparts to you this love power. He says, he's for you. He's pro you. He's on your side. He's thrown in his lot with you. He is with us. And he gave his only son, which tells us what that all means. Well, if he gave us his son, if the father gave his son, and if the son freely came, Will he not also, along with him, graciously, freely give us all things? I mean, doesn't take a rocket scientist. If God gave us his son, Jesus, then all else in life is included. He goes on further down. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What, what can come between you and this blessing, which is the blessing of the love of God. What can, who can separate? Shall trouble? Shall hardship? Shall persecution? Shall famine? Or nakedness? Or danger? Or sword? No, says Paul. In all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, neither things present or things in the future, nor any kind of power, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Well, there you have it. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you, favor you, gift you. That's what the word grace means, gift, giving with everything that you need for every moment and every eventuality. And then it goes to the third stanza very quickly. He says, the Lord lift up his countenance on you. Now that's a, that's a Hebrew phrase, lift up his countenance. And, and it's got to do with what I said before, but it's very specific. It's, it's looking at someone and they know that you know and you know that they know that you have a very special place in there, your heart, you know. It's, a, it's an intimate look. It's a look of full friendship. It's a look of total welcome and acceptance. It's a look of 
I know you and you know that I know you and you know me and I know that you know me. We are covenant friends. It was a look. And I give you uh, it was th this phrase in the Hebrew language. It was used twice in the story of Joseph. You remember Joseph sold by his brothers and as a slave and, and then the Lord exalted him to become basically the ruler of the then known world. And in a famine, his brothers come begging for food. Do you remember the story? Well, after Joseph had been kidnapped, um, his mother gave birth to Benjamin. And, and he'd never met Benjamin, but it was his brother. These other brothers were more half-brothers. But Benjamin was his real brother. And so when his half-brothers, who had sold him into slavery, they come. Now, they don't know that it's Joseph. They think he's the ruler of Egypt. And the, it, it says that he wanted to see his, his real brother Benjamin. And so they come in, and there's Benjamin there with them. And it says, he, Joseph, lifted his eyes. It's the same phrase that is used here. Joseph lifted his eyes and saw his brother, Benjamin. And then just to sort of let you know how he's feeling, it adds not only his brother, Benjamin, it says his mother's son. And he reached out to that one and said, may God be gracious to you. That, that's this phrase. And again, he's asking a little later on that they come back and they bring that brother Benjamin with them. And it says, bring him down to me that I may set my eye on him. Same phrase that is used here. You, you understand? He looks at you and he marks you out. You're his child. He calls you his son, his daughter. You are unique to him. Now, though your neighbor doesn't know your name, you are known to the Father. And the idea is that he gives you a sort of radiance. I'd use the word aura. You are the object of divine love and protection. He knows you. He knows right down to the food that is or is not in your refrigerator. He knows the size of your children's shoes. He knows you. And that's in Matthew chapter 6. Um, in Psalm 33, 18, it says, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him to deliver their soul from death and to keep them alive in famine. That's it. You're special. And it says, and give you peace. Shalom is the Hebrew word. <laughs> well, now there's an hour we could talk. There many times when the Bible uses the word blessing, it's almost the same definition as the word shalom. Peace in the Bible means heart peace. It doesn't mean everything's peaceful around you. It means that you are an island of peace in the midst of this world. 
And so he, he, he's saying the blessing is give you peace. Not only tranquility though, it's not only that sort of peace. It doesn't only mean a harmony, it, it means that, but it also means these other words we keep popping up, prosperity and success. And it's interesting, this give you peace, um, if we translated it literally, it would mean something like put you into peace. As if to take you and, and put you into a bath, put you into peace. One translation of this from the Hebrew has it, may he put prosperity and success into you. This is the blessing. I mean, can, can you hear this for you? The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious, gifting you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you. May he catch your eye. By his Holy Spirit let you know how infinitely special. Like the prodigal son as he comes home and he's ashamed and I'm not worthy. And, and the father runs and grabs him with a great bear hug and with tears rolling down his cheeks. It says he kisses him all over. And as the son blubbers on about not worthy to be called your son, the father says, you are my son. You may have been lost, but you're found. You may have been dead, but you're alive. That's what he says to you, you see. That's the blessing. Give you peace. Give you prosperity in your spirit. May you be successful in the very core of your being as a human being. May you be prosperous in your mind. May you be prosperous in your emotions, filled with the joy of the Lord and the peace of God. May you be prospered in your body with health and strength. And may you prosper in everything you touch so that you leave the imprint of God's favor into creation. Well, there's one thing, and I, I still have time to do this. It's a neat thing. It, it, it was much, well, let me put it this way. This is Numbers chapter 6, where the Lord gave this blessing. And every morning, every morning, after the morning sacrifice at the tabernacle, and later at the temple, the priest would raise his hands over the tents of Israel and over those who were gathered there, but everybody in their tents knew what was happening. And he would proclaim this blessing every morning as, as if to say that um, we're sort of uh, recalibrating, we're, we're making sure our compass north is in this blessing. As you go to your work, as you work around your house, as you relate to everybody this day, understand, you, in every microsecond, you are being blessed. Right now. Right now, you are being kept. 
Right now, his smile is upon you. Right now, he's being gracious to you. Right now, his countenance is lifted with delight upon you. And right now, he is putting you into peace, into harmony, into tranquility, into prosperity. So that, I mean, can you imagine the, the people who understood this, believed it, and they go to their work in that kind of an energy? So much so as they went down the, the street and they, they, they met with people, what did they say? They quoted this blessing. They said, the Lord be with you, which means he is with you. And, and the response would be, and the Lord bless you, or it would be, and is with you also. That, that's, that was life in the covenant. You have that to a degree they never knew. For the Lord with you became indeed the Lord becoming flesh in Jesus. He's with us so close now. He's closer than breathing. But let me tell you a quick story that took place, and that was Numbers chapter 6. And so they're doing this every morning, proclaiming the blessing, walking out in the blessing. And in Numbers 22, which actually, though it's only a few chapters, but it was a long time. It was coming on 40 years later. There, there was an old sorcerer. I, I can't explain really what he was. He... He, he would play with any demon. He would tell fortunes. He had a way, uh, like many of the um, sorcerers I met in Africa, who could put curses on people that could even kill people. And, and he also understood the true God. He, he knew he was there and would actually sort of try and make deals with him sometimes. He, he was a sorcerer who knew there was a real God. His name was Balaam. Have you ever heard of Balaam? You know, the chap with the talking donkey. Well, I can't go to the whole story. But the, the king uh, on the borders of Canaan, where as all these Israelites are coming through the desert, the king said, I want to get rid of these people. And so he says, how do I get there? There are too many of them for me to go and fight them. So he sent messages to Balaam, the old sorcerer, up the river Euphrates. And he says, I'll give you gold, I'll give you anything you want if you'll just come and curse these people. Balaam says, well, I don't know about that. He said, I'd better discuss this with um, God because I know he's connected with them. And Numbers 22 Verse 12, God said to Balaam, do not go with them. That is, don't go with the messengers. Don't get involved in this. And then he said, you must not put a curse on those people on Israel because they are blessed. Did you hear? The king said to Balaam, I'll pay you anything to curse these people. God said to Balaam, you old sorcerer, I know you do anything for gold, but don't do this. Hear me. Don't do this. Do not curse these people because they are blessed. That is, there. should I say there's a bubble, there's a dome of blessing. You can't curse them, old devil. 
And so, you remember the story, Balaam tries to go. That's when his donkey told him he was an idiot. And, and But he goes. And he said, look, I, I'll do my best to the king. And, and so he sets up his position on a high hill, looking over this vast multitude of Israel. And, and he says, let me talk to God again. Maybe I can twist his arm and get a curse. And, and again, you don't do it. You can't curse. I bless them. You can't touch them. Incidentally, all those Israelites down there didn't have a clue what was going on up on the top of the mountain. They were walking down the street saying, the Lord bless you, the Lord be with you. And the priests were saying, the blessing of the Lord and he's keeping you. They didn't know that all the powers of hell were on that mountain trying to curse. But it, it wouldn't work. And so Balaam said to the king, how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce those whom the Lord has not denounced? And the king was getting angry. He said, try another mountain. Maybe another look at them will get a curse. And so they go around. They circle Israel from different mountains. And, and he works his sorcery and he's trying to manipulate God. Well, it's a daft thing to do. but And finally, he tried it and he tried it. He said, this is not working. The king is furious. He says, you won't get a penny out of me unless you curse them. And then, now you've got to get this. It's Numbers 23, 19. I've heard this verse quoted by I don't know how many people. But this verse is in direct reference to the blessing of number six that we've been talking about. Balaam basically throws up his hands. He said, I can't curse them. And why not? He said, God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Balaam said, the only thing I get from God is I've received a command from him to bless these people. He has blessed and I cannot change it. So I'm sorry, King, there's no misfortune that I can place upon these people. There's no misery that I can give them because the Lord their God is with them. And there's no sorcery that can work against them. And there's no divination against Israel. And all I can tell you, King, is that people will look at them and say, see what God has done. Look, I, I am getting goosebumps right now. Do, do you hear this? He said, I bless you and I keep you. My face is intentionally smiling upon you and I am being gracious to you. My countenance looks on you as my special person and I will to give you peace, shalom. And it took Balaam to grudgingly admit God is not a man that he should like. When he said that to the people, in number six, he wasn't lying. 
I'm sorry, king, I can't do anything about it. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should change his mind. He hasn't changed his mind about these people. I mean, does God speak and then not act? He's acting. I can't curse them. Because God's acting on their behalf. Does he make a promise and not fulfill it? Well, he's fulfilling it. I can't do anything. He has blessed and will not change his mind. If we had the time to look at these people that God blessed and protected so that all the powers of hell on that mountain could not change it, those people were not exactly haloed saints. But God kept his word and was working in them and through them would bring Jesus into the world. But this, do, do you realize this? And I'm, I'm out with this. But do you realize it? This blessing multiplied now in terms of understanding 10,000 times because Jesus came and fulfilled it. But that blessing is yours. Is yours. Don't pray this. That would miss the whole point. This isn't for prayer. This is to say, thank you, Father. I am blessed. I am kept. And so on. A blessing is not praying. Blessing is declaring the good word of God that imparts what it says. And do you realize that as you take this blessing and know that it is yours now, in your innermost being, moving out to your outermost world, that God is saying that he does not lie, he does not change his mind, he didn't just speak this and then didn't come through, made a promise that he never fulfilled. No, he has blessed you and he by his very being cannot change it, nor does he want to. He has blessed you in Jesus Christ. Now, go out into your evening or day or wherever you are listening to this and take that step of faith that we've talked of in weeks past. Lay hold upon this blessing as the substance the evidence in your hand of reality. This is so. And begin to say, I am blessed. I am kept. I am bathed in the smile of God. I am graced. I am the one he looks at with delight. I am filled with the peace, shalom, of God. And stop denying his blessing. Stop short-circuiting the blessing. Stop frustrating the blessing by talking as if you'd never met Jesus. Well, I trust that's a high note and not a low note. Because to me it's the highest. It tells you of your uniqueness. How extraordinary. How you are not a mere human you are one united with God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit.
who brings us the totality of the blessing to the totality of our lives. And now, God, who is almighty love, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless you. Bless you by keeping you and filling you with his peace. And doing that this very day, this week, and indeed to the ages of ages. So I this night declare you are blessed through Jesus Christ, and that's the way it is. Amen.